set the scene, shall we, of the, uh, of the night that we're singing of and of the joy that we're singing with our two Bible readings that we have before us. Firstly, we have Dot coming to read from us the Old Testament, and if you would, Dot, from Isaiah chapter 9, 1948. I won't ask you to put your hands up if you were around in 1948. I find people who are around in 1948 need help getting their hands up these days. So, but 1948, a shepherd boy threw a rock up in a hole in a, in a cliff. It was what shepherd boys do when they've got nothing to do down by the Dead Sea. And he heard this clink, which didn't make sense, so he climbed up into the hole into a cave and there were all these old scrolls that we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then suddenly... Inside that moment, we found, that little boy found, amongst all the scrolls, a scroll of the prophet of Isaiah. And for a thousand years, a thousand year leap took place backwards. The oldest copy of Isaiah we had was 1000 AD. And now we had one written at the time of Jesus. Extraordinary find. And you know, that one that they found at the time of Jesus was basically and fundamentally identical to the one that we had a thousand years later. It had been copied accurately for a thousand years. It was written 700 years, Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus. And this is what Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus came into the world, wrote of him. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian." For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Ponder it for a moment, friends. 2,700 years ago, a prophet in Isaiah, a prophet Isaiah living under the Assyrian Empire said that one day the Prince of Peace is coming. One day he's coming to set up a kingdom that will have no end, that will cover all the nations of the world, which will bring joy to everybody. And here, 2,700 years later, in a nation that was never even thought of in those days, are a bunch of very good-looking people singing the praises of the Lord Jesus. The very good-looking people was a, a bit of flattery. I should leave that out of preaching, shouldn't I? A, a normal group of people singing the praises of the Lord Jesus Christ. How did it come so true that the Prince of Peace be born like this? Well, our second reading tells us not so much of his birth, thanks, Liz, not so much of his birth, but what happened on that great night when he was born. It's Luke chapter 2, and Liz is reading from verse 8 there. 
And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When you're singing out front here, and especially when you stop it all and tell people how to sing it, it then becomes a little threatening when the music director of the cathedral comes and passes you a note. What is he possibly going to say to me now about my singing or my choice? It's all about please don't turn the microphones on and off. That's a great relief to us. Thank you, Ross. Now, in that reading, the second reading, the one Liz brought to us, verse 10 and 11, are the key verses that you'll see at the top of the sheet up here. Going to work through these eight points. Not even, we're going to sing in the middle of it too. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Eight points quickly from that. Christmas is a happy time. It's a happy season. It's always a happy season. Why is it a happy season? Well, because it's about good news. The angel said, good news, but it's not just good news, he says, good news of great joy. It's the kind, I mean, there is good news and there is good news, but there's good news of great joy. Uh, a lot of HSC students have had news this week. They've been getting up at all kinds of hours. In fact, one I heard about couldn't, couldn't get up early in the morning to get the news because they've been awake all night worrying about it. News is not always good, but when the news is good, you can't stop them. You've got to talk about it. They keep on talking about it. They want to go and talk about it. The head of our school told me uh, earlier this afternoon that he's had a group of the students in our school. We've got a big school just in this building behind us of nearly uh, 1,100 students. The HSC ones have been up there, the ones who have done really well. And he says, the trouble is, this is one meeting when I can't get them to leave school. They are so excited about the good news. They sit there all afternoon talking with each other, talking about the good news. What we're talking about here is good news of great joy, things people love to hear, not threatening, not sad, not bad, not dangerous. Great news good news of great joy. We're going to sing. Lovely to hear you singing so well and 
how can we not sing like the angels of the joy of knowing the news of great news? But notice what it says. Great news, good news of great joy, that will be for all the people. It's not just for the rich, it's not just for the poor, it's not just for the old, it's not just for the young. It's not just for women, it's not just for children, it's not just for men, it's not just for the lords, it's not just for the slaves, it's not for the unions and it's not just for the workers and it's not for the, just for the bosses and it's not for the shareholders, it's not just for the Europeans, it's not just for the Asians, it is for all people. That's part of what makes Christmas so good, so great. There is nobody outside the compass of the news that we're hearing. Jesus brings us great news, good news of great joy for all the people because unto you, unto you a baby is born. We'll look at a baby born in a moment or two, but it's unto you. Not every baby in the world has been born to me. I've got three wonderful children. I've got 12 even more wonderful grandchildren. Once we started getting a genetic pool just outside ourselves, things improved, you see. I've got these 12 wonderful grandchildren and they have been born unto me. I have a special relationship with them. They have a special relationship with me. I'm not allowed to go around kissing little children and touching little children, but I tell you, my 12, they get lots of kisses and lots of touches. They get cuddles, they get squeezed, they get all manner of mauling from their grandfather because they are my grandchildren. They have been born unto me. My children don't like being tickled anymore. Now, this baby, we're told, has been born unto you. This is our baby. This is everybody's baby. For this baby was born for us. Born to be ours. He is to be us. And notice, it was a baby that was born unto you. A birth is a very exciting time. Really, really exciting moment. Painful, dangerous, wonderful, magical. When my second child was being born, I was in the waiting room with my wife. Uh, we had waiting and waiting and waiting. And uh, they actually pumped a full of saline, well, full of uh, the, the, the good things to bring the baby on. And they forgot to put the right things in. So the baby just sat there getting all these glucose for hours until the doctors and nurses remembered what to put in. And so we sat there for hours in the hospital waiting for this endless to come. And I was reading a book by Camus called The Plague, which argues against the existence of God because of the death of children in a plague. And a Christian man, I'm concerned about the arguments against the existence of God and horrified by the death of children in a plague. And then I went in to the delivery room and I watched my baby daughter being born. And I believed in God again and again and again for there is nothing much more miraculous than seeing a newborn child to see all the details of this little tiny face to see the new person that has come into the world that is your person our person there is something incredible about seeing the baby born and this baby that was born to us his birth was just that, it was a birth. But he was the creator of the universe. Now born as a baby, weak, 
defenceless, dependent baby. And more than that, as we read the little text here, born this day in the city of David. Well, that just might be historical note. I was born in the back streets of King's Cross. Uh, uh, it sounds good, that, doesn't it? You wonder whether my mother was in the gutter or something like that at the time. But there used to be a hospital up at King's Cross where they had uh, children being delivered. It's still there, but it's a geriatric hospital now. Um, just about the time for me to get there, actually. It's turned into what's appropriate for me. And so, and so maybe it's just... But no, it's not. The city of David is all important. David lived a thousand years before Jesus. 300 years before Isaiah. David was the greatest king that Israel ever had. David was the, the dynasty. From there on in, it was always the house of David. Every king had to come from the family of David. And David had a promise given to him that one day his son would sit on the throne of God to rule not only Israel, but the ends of the earth, and not only in his lifetime, but for the rest of time. You hear that kind of promise and you think, oh, yeah, sure. And Jesus was born of the line of David, in the family of David, in the city of David, just as the prophet Micah had promised that it would be. It is really important that this was David's son, for the promises about ruling the world forever were given to David and his son. Got a little time for me there in that last line or so. Notice what it is. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour. A saviour. My mother couldn't swim. We lived at Bondi. You've got a family of boys living at Bondi and you can't swim. You spend most of your time afraid of what they're going to do. We had certain rules that she gave us. She was a very strong lady and so we kept her rules. Rule number one, always keep a fat man between you and New Zealand. <laughs> it's a good rule, isn't it? Your boys aren't going to drown if there's one of those around. The second rule was, though, a moral one because she wanted us to be good citizens. She wanted us to look after people and care for people, but she was terrified that being good citizens and looking after people... When we saw them get into trouble swimming, we'd go and try and help them. And we'd drown in the process because other people hadn't followed rule one. And so, or worse still, we had to go and rescue the fat man. Now that really would be a problem. So on the grounds that other people didn't keep rule one, we had rule two. You be the one who runs for help. You're moral, you're kind, you're doing good things for people, aren't you? And you'll never drown if you're running for help. And so rule two, you run for help. In other words, she did not want us to be a lifesaver. We're not talking about lifesavers in terms of banking. She certainly wanted us to be that. We were signed up to the Commonwealth Bank when we were five, but not that kind of saviour. She didn't want us to be a beach kind of saviour, the kind of person who plunges into the surf, putting their own life at risk, in order to rescue people as they get carried out in a rip. As they put their hand up asking for help, she didn't want us to be a saviour. But that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ was and is. He's a saviour. That's his job. When you go down to the beach next time and you look and there's the flags and there are these people standing as life savers, think of Jesus. 
But Jesus came to the world to do what those people go to the beach to do. They stand there in order to save, to rescue, to help those who are perishing and in danger and in difficulty. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. In fact, his very name means saviour. It's a funny business, but you see, Jesus is his Greek name, but he wasn't a Greek boy, he was a Jewish boy, so it's very unlikely that he actually used that name. We call him Jesus, but his mother most likely called him Joshua, because Joshua is the Hebrew name of which Jesus is the translation. You know, like Ivan, Ian, Evan, Ewan, they're all different languages for John. Uh, I knew one family where they had four boys, Ivan, Evan, Evan, Ian and John in the same family. The fam parents obviously either liked John or they didn't know that it was the same name in four different languages. Joshua is the Hebrew name, Jesus is the Greek name and it means saviour. That's what it means. That's his name. That's what he came into the world to do. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come in to save surfers. He came into the world to save sinners. Because one of the problems with surfers, when they get into trouble, is they don't know they're in trouble. The rip is carrying them out, past the fat man, and they haven't woken up to the problem until they get into real difficulties. Then they put their hand up. Sometimes beyond where it can be seen, for it is too late. Trouble with sinners is much the same. We're in the rip and we don't notice it, especially when everybody else around us is in the same rip and they're all heading out to New Zealand as well. You don't even notice that you need the Saviour. But rest assured, we all do need the Saviour. That is, Jesus was born at Christmas for Easter. He came into the world, born as a baby, in order to die on a cross. That was his mission. It wasn't a kind of accident. It wasn't an afterthought. That's actually why he was sent into the world, to die for our sins and to rise again, that we may be forgiven. And so Jesus came into the world to be a saviour. The world still has lots of problems. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. Christ wasn't his surname. Couldn't look him up in the phone book under J. Christ. Christ is his title. It means Messiah. It means King. The long-awaited anointed one the son of David, the king who is coming to rule. Thank you very much. Thank you, sisters in particular. I thought the sweetness lay in the upper registers. So the angel finishes. Saviour, who is Christ, the Lord. Lord's actually a bit of a rough word, you know. It means slave owner. That's actually what it meant. I mean, our day, the only lords we got are in the House of Lords and they're 10,000 miles away and, well, we don't take them too seriously here in Australia, do we? In fact, there's a whole bunch of us who would like to get rid of them as our lords and there's a whole bunch of us who want to keep them and I'm not entering into that discussion. You can have that debate outside later. But the lords don't mean much to us now. Not since Gilbert and Sullivan played 
fun with them in Iolanthe. But the Lord in the ancient world, now he was a real person. He was your master. He was your owner. He was your ruler. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, the Lord, the owner, the ruler. He's a little baby. This little baby is Christ, the Lord, the ruler, the owner of all. And my friends, you see, he can't be the ruler of heaven and earth unless he's your ruler. You can't have him as the son of David unless you have him as your king. He can't be your saviour unless you have him as your Lord. One of the crazy things about life-saving, of which I, you can see, know nothing, because I'm still a lousy sink swimmer. I've got a few things to take up with my mother when I meet her again in a few years' time. This is one of them. But one of the things about life-saving is, of course, people put up their hand to be rescued, the life-saver comes out, and then what does this person do? They fight the life-saver. They want to swim themselves. They want to be able to do it themselves. They just... And the lifesavers have to overcome them and the person being rescued has to relax and let the lifesaver do the work. Because although they're drowning and they need help, they still want to do it themselves. You've got to lay back and put your hand and your life and yourself in the hands of the lifesaver. If you want to be saved, you have to put yourself in his hands. He is the Lord, this Christ, this Jesus. He doesn't save us from sinning so that we can go on sinning. He saves us that we might be forgiven of our past sins and find our way forward. Look on the back of the outline and in the box there, there's a prayer. Every year it's good to come back to it again Come back over and over again. Easter's a great time to come to it. Christmas is a great time to come to it where you remember what it's all about. Fundamentally, basically, at the centre of it all, this is what it's about. The first paragraph is about acknowledging that I am a sinner. I need forgiveness. I don't deserve to be accepted by God. I'm guilty of rebelling against God, ignoring God, turning my back on God, just like you are second paragraph is about Christmas. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. The third paragraph is when you put your hand up and ask for the Saviour to rescue you. Please forgive me. Change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. That is the heart of what it is to be a Christian or to become a Christian. It's so simple a little child can do it. It's so humbling that lots of adults say, oh, no, I want to do something myself. Can't I do something? Can't I? You see, we want to fight against our Saviour rather than trusting our Lord. That's what it's about, though. So let me lead in this prayer. And I invite you to pray it with me. For some of you, it might actually be the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like this. For some of you, it's the 65 millionth time you've prayed this prayer because this is what's on your heart. This is, how, this is who you are. Let's pray. I'll pray out loud and you join me in the quietness of your own heart to God if this is your prayer.
Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I am guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you and I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my Lord, as my Christ, as my King, as my ruler. Amen. And friends, if that is your prayer, you will be forgiven. For God sent his son to die so that you will be forgiven. He's not going to send his son to die that you be forgiven and then not forgive you. And you will be raised to new life because Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. He rose from the dead and he pours his spirit into people this very day. This is your Christmas, your birth, if it's your first time to pray like that. It's your rebirth, which is just so wonderful. Well, my great singing friends, I hope that you have a marvellous Christmas. Our next-door neighbour, the town hall, has a special lights show that comes on just about 8 o'clock, which is just about now. And so you might like to go out and enjoy the light show that is coming on in the square. And I hope that you have a great time over the coming few days. And if you'd like to come back and join us and sing some more, we're going to be singing from here till Christmas. Let's pray. The blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be amongst us and with us and with our families this Christmas time and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>